This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to a brand new year. It is 2022, and we are on episode 158 of the Laravel News Podcast. So happy to have you back with us. And as always, with me once again is my wonderful Aussie buddy co-host, Mr. Michael Dorinda. Michael, how's it going, dude? Hello. Welcome. Welcome to another year, or as I like to think of it, 2020 part three. 2020 part three. Hey, dude, how many years have we been doing this for? Is this is this the start Since, of your three? No. Yeah. This can't be longer yeah. Twenty twenty. This would be the start of year three. This would be the start of year three. Did, it, did we really only start it in twenty twenty? That's a, that's crazy. What? Yeah. Twenty. Yeah. I, I don't think so, dude. It must be longer than that. It's got to be longer than that. Yeah. It was the end of end of two thousand and nineteen was okay. when it sort of popped up in in uh, China, and then uh, early twenty twenty it started to spread. And, no, I'm uh, sorry. Here we are again. <laughs> I was talking about the yes, the, the you're talking about the I was not talking, I'm talking about, about the podcast. I'm talking about the podcast. Yeah, we've been the podcast we've been okay. doing since 2018. Okay, I was like, it's been longer. Well, it's been longer than that, hasn't it? Okay, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so we're starting like year five then, 19, 20, 20. Yeah, starting year five. Wow, that's crazy, mm-hmm. man. That is crazy. Like I can't believe my kid. My so my daughter just turned seven two days ago, and mm-hmm. um. Yeah, so she was two when we started this, which seems insane. But uh, yeah, super, super grateful to be doing the podcast. And uh, yeah, I was thinking I was going crazy there for a minute. I'm like three years. This is like year three. And then you think, no, you're talking about the virus. And that seems like it's been way too freaking long. I can't believe we're going on year three. But yes, it's true. Year the start three. of year 2020. That was, uh, that was when I was all nasty. Mm. Okay, well, Michael has done a great job of doing me a big favor and putting together all of the notes ahead of time. Before I even got on the Skype call today. So thanks, Michael. Appreciate that, dude. Um, hey, top of the nice. show here. We also want to, as uh, the very first episode of the year, want to give a big shout out to Honey Badger. So Honey Badger, we've previously talked about they've done error tracking and they do a great job with that. But they've actually got a brand new service, which we're going to be talking about, about today called Hook Relay which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show. If you like webhooks, if you use webhooks, you could definitely want to stick around because uh, it's a pretty cool service. So we've got a lot of good stuff on the on the docket for you. It's been a while since we've been around to talk about these things. So I'm excited to share with you some of the new and fun upcoming and exciting releases that have been coming out. So Michael, kick us off Laravel 8.76. 8.76 dropped just before Christmas with all of the good stuff, all of the new things. Uh, so first up, we have an after-refreshing database test method, which was contributed by Luke Downing. This is a method that you can use in your unit test when you want to seed some data in a test directly after you run migrations. So for example, if you were to uh, have a specific suite of tests or a specific set of tests around your user permissions or user roles, after you refresh your database, you can have uh, Laravel basically kick off a specific seeder to seed your roles and permissions for that set of tests. So check that one out if that's something that you've needed to do. I've done all kinds of wacky workarounds for that in the past. Yeah, so exactly. Nice to see yeah, that like it's in there. Extending the setup method or whatever and then mm. calling parent and then doing a seeding thing afterwards, right? But yeah, this is way cleaner. I love it. It looks, like, it mm-hmm. looks really good. He's a beauty, a beauty, a beauty. Uh, next up, we have customizing child model route binding, which was contributed by Marvin, Marvin-WTT. This uh, is the ability to override child model route route binding resolution via the resolve route binding query method. That sounds like something that you wouldn't do often, maybe. It's um, a little but bit, definitely check out. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird one. So it's like, I think it sort of relates to how, you know how you can do sort of those nested relationship model binding things where if you had like a post and then a comment and you can make sure that the comment belongs to the post sort of deal so you can kind of type hint those and it will automatically sort of like route those together well mm-hmm. um 
you could previously, you can override sort of like how a route model binding resolves automatically using this resolve route binding query method. Mm -hmm. But if it's for a child, sort of like a relationship, it won't work. And so they basically wrote a new child model route binding resolution that will fix that problem for you. So yeah, it seems Mm -hmm. sort of edge casey, but it was was fixed. And so interesting anyway. Uh, Yes, as I said, that was from uh, Marvin. Next up, we have a contribution from Adam Rodriguez, which is a contribution uh, for some common 4xx error status code Boolean check. So previously, we would have done something like response arrow status triple equals 401 or response status triple equals 403. You can now just do response arrow unauthorized or response arrow forbidden. Uh, Thanks to Adam for that one. We also have a contribution from Oliver Mutler. Uh, This is the invisible modifier support for MySQL columns. This was introduced in MySQL version 8.0.23. When columns are marked as invisible, they are not implicitly, marked as invisible, they are not implicitly visible, I suppose, and thus not hydrated in Laravel models. So if you were to do a select star, if there was an invisible column, it wouldn't even be returned from the query. These columns can still be explicitly selected, making it useful to omit unless you explicitly need the data. Uh, as I said, this was added in MySQL 8.0.23. It is currently only available in MySQL from that version and above. And lastly, Ralph J. Smith contributed the substra replace method to the string and stringable classes. So this allows you to uh, make a substring replacement. So if you were to have a string of 1300, you could say string colon colon substra replace dollar string colon. 2.0. So this will, at position number two, insert a, uh, a column. So if you wanted to take a, a you know 1300 and make it 13 colon 00, representing a hour of the day. Bear with me. <laughs> First episode back and I'm trying to read code. So. <laughs> uh, lessons we've learned the hard way that we forgot in 2022. <laughs> yeah, and we keep, we keep doing it. We say we shouldn't do this and then we do it anyway. And we do it anyway. Yeah, it's a good one. But though. that it's, is... Yeah, some interesting stuff in there, yeah. That is all for 8. Dot seven six. What do you think of that invisible modifier for these MySQL columns? So first of all, the idea of it seems interesting. So like MySQL adding these invisible columns, the idea being that like if you select mm-hmm. star, they aren't included in the results. You have to specifically say select and then the name of the column. And so now basically Laravel is just supporting the ability to create those in migrations and also it respects it when you are doing that on the model itself. You have to specifically mm-hmm. include the values. So I don't know. It's kind of cool. I'm not exactly sure where I would use that, um, but interesting. Interesting anyway. It's good if you're like wanting to data. hide things. Yeah, if you're wanting to hide things, you don't want them to leak, um, you know, short of, short of putting them in your hidden array, in the hidden property sure. on, oh, your, on your model. Yep. Um, if you if you were to hide it in the database, there's no way that it would accidentally be leaked out. You know, if you're doing a select star, if you're doing a relationship across, you know, join across models or things like that, MySQL would prevent that from being returned in a select star unless you explicitly want to return it. So yeah, it's a good point. Hey, you might want to just uh, <laughs> I wouldn't advise doing this, but you could make your entire entire field set. Uh, you know, invisible, and then yep, it only you know, wreak havoc. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna wreak havoc with your uh, MySQL results there because nothing will come back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you'd have to be <laughs> explicit about everything. You say, "I want exactly these fields." Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. interesting. In any case, okay, we've got eight point seventy seven released as well. There's a couple things we're going to talk about here. Let's jump right in. We've got attribute cast and accessor improvements. So Taylor Otwell, the Otwell himself contributed this one the art well so if you've ever been inside a model and you wanted to change well i mean why why do i need to try and say other than the way that it's said here which is uh if you wanted to define attribute accessors and mutators so let's say for example uh you have a title uh or let's say let's say that uh, the article name that you've created is in a column called name and you want to uppercase that whole thing and you're going to call that a new attribute called title. So you're going to have a public function set title attribute, and then you're going to this attributes uh, return back a uppercase string of that of that name that you had, right? So that's going to that's going to retrieve it when you get it out of that model. But then you can also have a uh, function for a mutator, which is going to change it as it goes in. So this is all fine and good. You could do this before. 
but it was a bit clunky, right? And so now you have a new way to do this, uh, which is just to define a method for the attribute that you're wanting to create. So in that same instance, uh, if you wanted to create this title attribute, instead of having to create two separate methods, you now can create a protected function called title. And it is going to return in a new type of class called attribute. So uh, when you're doing this, you're going to return a new attribute class. And then what you're going to pass into that class as the first uh, is a closure that returns what you're going to do for your accessor. How do you want to mutate this value as you're getting it out of the database? And then the second closure that you're going to pass in is how you want to mutate it as it's going back into the database. Uh, and then Taylor is using some fancy, uh, what is that called when you do the... A reflection. Thank you. Well, is that what you get colon? That's like that whole like you're oh, naming. It's like is, named... Yeah. Named, These are the named attributes. Named attributes. Thank you. That's what I was asking. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. The named attributes, he's got it in here. So you could say get colon and then the closure and then set colon and the closure. So it's just obvious which one is which. Because, you know, I don't know if you guys ever do this, guys and gals, y'all ever do this. If you have something in a in a set of parameters, if you ever dollar sign and then name it and then equals and then whatever it is, that parameter that you're sending in. I've done that before just to kind of remind myself like, oh, this is actually the number of hours. So say dollar sign hours equals eight. Well, with this uh, named attributes, you don't have to do that anymore. But uh, the code that Taylor wrote here makes it really clear why he would do that. And it's very pretty. So you could go through all of your code and replace all of your accessors and mutators with this brand new attribute class and have a single method to define both of those. So pretty cool, really clean, and uh, looks great. Thanks, Taylor. The other, also, thing that the, named, the other thing that the named arguments gives you is the ability to not have to set all of them. So get and set yes, uh, are defined in that order in the constructor, but they're both nullable. So you might not have a getter. You only have a setter. Ah. You know, you're only encrypting something on the way into the database, for example, yep. um, or you point. only want to manipulate that on the way in. So you can omit the get. Previously, um, in you know, older than PHP 8, you could, yeah. you'd have to pass null as the first one and then pass the second parameter to get that there. Now you can just say set colon and PHP will know that, that you're only wanting to set that second parameter and and um, automatically emit that from the from the the method call so i love it yeah good point michael good point we've also got date time parsing added to the request in- instance so italo contributed a date method to the request instance making it convenient to get a date instance from request data so for example if you're passing in a date from like a date picker but you want that to be cast to a carbon instance you got to remember this is not you're not retrieving this out of the database you're getting this from a request so all of the casts and all that stuff doesn't apply here right we're just talking about the request so previously Mm -hmm. what you would have done is hey if you have a request date time then you'd say carbon parse and pass in the date time but now what you can do is you can just say dollar sign request arrow date and then pass in the name of the value that's coming through the request that's supposed to be a date time right and then it'll automatically cast it to a carbon instance Uh, Mm -hmm. so it's pretty handy We've got per connection Predis prefixes. Ben Tidy contributed the ability to use prefixes on a per connection basis for Predis. So in the example, they have the default, they have the cache connections for Redis, and each one of them has their own prefix. So you can specify that on a per connection basis now. There's also been a new MAC address validation rule. So Bilal Al-Masri contributed a MAC address validation rule to validate MAC addresses. Uh, Ash Allen contributed this ability to define a custom temporary URL logic for the storage facade. So if you are going to be creating a temporary URL for something that's coming out of your storage, then what you could do is you could define a function inside of this build temporary uh, URL using method. And then whenever you're going to be getting a temporary URL for a particular storage disk, it will use that custom resolution that you're using in order to generate that URL. So you maybe have like a custom short link that you're generating from the URL that you're giving. Uh, So maybe you have this S3 link that's getting pulled out, but you want to quick send out and get back a short link for that. And so that you could, you could do that. Uh, This temporary URL could then return whatever you want. Um, So Pretty handy there. Pretty cool stuff. All right, that's 8.66. And sorry, that's 8.77. Uh, of course, full release notes and change log are going to be out there on GitHub for y'all. Pretty cool, great stuff. 
Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm. Just just one bit of news, obviously, with uh, with the Christmas New Year period. It's a bit light. Actually, there's there's a second bit of news that we don't have an article for, but the new Forge redesign was launched. Oh yes, just before Christmas. So if, if you haven't seen it yet, if you go to forge.laravel.com, there's a well, new pretty- marketing website. the The application has been completely re- rewritten. Claudio Decker uh, spent a great deal of time working on that. Completely rewriting it using Inertia JS, so definitely check that out if you if you have not already. But the one article that we do have here is a look at what is coming to Laravel nine, and we've talked about this in bits and pieces over the the past months as information has come to light. Um, the next version of Laravel nine, I believe, at this stage is targeting a well late January release this this year. So I think it'll be around the twenty sixth or the twenty seventh, in line with the normal release cycle. Um, it was originally scheduled to be released at September of last year, but the Laravel team decided to push this back to January of this year to allow Laravel to use a number of community-driven packages as well as nine Symphony components for a number of features within the framework. So Symphony version 6 was due to release in November, and for that reason, the Laravel team decided to delay the Laravel 9 release until January, giving them the opportunity to upgrade the underlying Symphony components to version 6 without being forced away until next September to perform the upgrade. And in addition, this better positions the team for future releases as yearly releases that will take place two months after Symphony. So Laravel 9 will be out, as I said, end of this month, Laravel 10 in 2023, and Laravel 11 in January of 2024. So top of the list here, PHP 8 is the minimum version for Laravel 9. So since Laravel 9 will require Symphony version 6 components, and that has a minimum requirement of PHP 8, that means that Laravel 9 will also carry the same restrictions. So if you are wanting to upgrade to Laravel 9, which will also be an LTS release for those of you playing LTS bingo, you'll need to upgrade your applications to PHP 8. So they will go hand in hand uh, for those of you who have been delaying that upgrade, waiting for the next Laravel release. Some pain may be coming your way. So be ready <laughs> for that. Uh, next up. Nuno snuck this one in last week. It is a new design for the route list. So if you've ever used the artisan route list command that's been included in Laravel for a long time, uh, one issue is that sometimes you will get uh, some truncation of those things. They'll span multiple lines. Um, If you've got lots of routes, if you've got complex routes, if you've got lots of middlewares and things like that. So it can be a bit messy to to review it in the console. Uh, So Nuno has done some work to... Uh, tidy that up to make it a bit clearer. It's got some colors in there. It, it, it truncates things that are less important and brings to light things that are a bit more important. Looking forward to that one. It looks very nice. Uh, good work to Nuno there. Earlier in 2021, we had uh, in Laravel 8.37, there was a new feature called anonymous migrations, which um, prevent migration class name collisions. So instead of having a class that was class mapped and then returned um, as part of the migration process, it was changed to be able to use anonymous migrations and then use the file name as the key for that. So that avoided any issues with with naming collisions. If you had like a create users table in your application and then there was a create users table in a package somewhere, you'd get naming collisions in Composer for that. So now um, you have the ability to return anonymous classes as the migrations. When Laravel 9 launches, this will be the default. So there'll be no more naming of those classes anymore from Laravel 9 onwards. And that will be the default, as I said, when you run uh, make migration or anything like that. There's also a new query builder interface. So thanks to Chris Morell, Laravel 9 will feature a new query builder interface. Uh, and you can review the, the merge pull request. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Um, but this is consolidating the query builder and the eloquent builder and the eloquent relation interfaces uh, or, or classes behind a, a unified interface, adding a new contract called the Illuminate Contracts Database Query Builder. Um, and then there's also a Decorates Query Builder concern that implements the interface. So this allows for you to more readily type in, you know, because sometimes you don't know if you're going to get back a Query Builder instance or an Eloquent Builder instance. So by unifying the interface into a single contract, it means that you can hint that and know that everything's going to work as expected. So if you're using IDE type hints and things like that in your applications, this will certainly help consolidate that and keep things tidy for you. Um, and since PHP 8 will be the minimum for Laravel 9, Tom Schlick submitted a pull request to move to using the string contains, string starts with, and string ends with functions internally within the Illuminate support string class. We're moving from Swift Mailer to Symphony Mailer. 
Symphony actually deprecated the Swift mailer and Laravel 9 makes the change to use the Symphony mail Symphony mailer for all the mail transports. This does open up a few breaking changes, which you can review in the pull request that accompanies the change. The Laravel 9 upgrade guide will also include instructions once it's officially released. And the server.php file, which you used to find in your uh, a fresh Laravel installation, has been removed. And this has been included inside of the framework. The file is only ever used by PHP artisans served. It is very rarely, if ever, changed. So um, that's now part of the framework itself rather than part of the application skeleton. Um, Laravel is still a few weeks away. There's possibly still some new features that haven't been announced yet um, that will be coming out. So definitely keep an eye on that. We'll be updating this post and we'll be keeping you obviously updated through the podcast as new information becomes available. As always, Laravel and that team moving at insane speeds to make all these awesome changes. So very, very cool. Can I just say, you and I have been doing this podcast. This is year number five now. Eric has uh, been running. This is year number 10 for Laravel News. He created Laravel News in 2012. So happy birthday. I wonder if if we'll be doing anything special. Yeah, I wonder too. I wonder what month, like in 2012, it was started. So maybe it's not the 10-year anniversary quite yet, but it's coming up. It's going to be this year in any case. Mm -hmm. So we need to have a big party. We should go fly down. You you can fly here. I'll fly down. We'll go see Eric, and we'll surprise him at his front door. Just be like, surprise. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what are you guys doing? He'll be like, it's the 10-year anniversary. He'll be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know. It's going to be great. It's going to be really awkward. (laughs) That'll be super, super fun. (laughs) We're here for dinner. And then I'll jump on a plane and come back home. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Let's do it. Okay, uh, let me jump over to then we have got some packages we want to talk about. So let's do that. So the first one on the list here is Livewire Form Builder. So Filament Form Builder is a package that you can use to build forms using the tall stack. That's Tailwind, Alpine, Laravel, and Livewire. This means that most of the work to create the forms is done through PHP and Livewire components. So they have a couple of bare bones examples from the documentation that they've thrown into this post, which is great. Uh, basically, a lot of the headaches that you would have to deal with as far as repopulating fields from uh, getting back from validation, except for I- I'm saying some of these things, assuming I know this. I've done some work with Livewire fields or with Livewire forms, and they, they seem to work fine for me. Uh, but this is sort of some shortcuts to basically handle some common things that you would want to do, as well as provide some pre-built components for you, like a text input or a markdown editor or things like that. Uh, And then it also allows you to be able to put in uh, validation rules and be able to fill these in from a, uh, like if you were to mount something from a post, maybe you're pulling in a post, hydrating that, and then you want to fill the values of these inputs and markdown fields from that. This will automatically handle those things for you. So you have, again, this is this is honestly almost more of a tutorial. That That's the pitch for it. That's the really shallow pitch for it. It basically is going to make using forms in Livewire and the tall stack much easier for you. And this provides a lot of common UI input elements for you. So like text input, select, multi-select, checkbox, toggle, radio, date, t- date time picker, file upload, rich editor, markdown editor, and uh, there's also custom validation rules, classes, et cetera, et cetera. There's some videos. There's some great documentation on this one. Unfortunately, anything else I would be doing would literally be reading code. And we've, as we've already discussed on the show, that's going to be difficult for me to make understandable for everybody else who's listening out there in podcast land. So we're not going to go there. But in any case, it looks like it's uh, been a lot of work and, and looks like a really polished product here. If you're using uh, forms with the tall stack, definitely check this one out. Excellent. Next up, we have a Blade component that helps you serve images and download files. And download files? Smart, serve images and download files. Smart Smart makes it possible to serve images and download files from any location, including Laravel disks within a Laravel application. It enables resizing and caching images before sending them to the browser. And templates make it easy to pre-configure your settings to use them all over your site. Smart enables easy image manipulation and downloads without any backend code. It will serve images, resize images, apply templates, automatically cache those images, apply the full intervention image API to an image and download files from anywhere, whether a public path, a private path, or a Laravel disk. You can use S3, for example. Uh, you can say x-smart-image as your component. You say data-disk attribute equals S3 and then source equals logos slash mybrand.jpg. Um, and that will automatically pull that information directly from your S3. 
Uh, Smart downloading is another unique feature this package offers, making it possible to download any image or file with a Blade component. There's no need to program the back-end portion of the code to provide the file streams. This package handles all of that for you. Um, So this is an interesting one. I might might have a look at this one offline. There's also a nice video that goes along with it um, talking about how to use it and, and, and how to go about that. So definitely check this one out if you need to do you know, images and file downloads from various Laravel disk locations. Very nice. So we've got another package here called Laravel Geographical Calculator. So this has been one of those items that I feel like there's been talks about this multiple times because this is such a difficult space to sort of master. And so this package helps you to implement geographical calculations with several algorithms that will help you to deal with coordinates. So there's two primary uses, getting the distance between a set of coordinates and getting the center between two or more coordinates. So if you have, I have a coordinate here, a coordinate here, a coordinate here, you have three of them, and you want to say, give me the center point, it could do that for you as well. So those are the two main functions, distance between two sets of coordinates and the center between two or more coordinates. So the API looks really nice. Uh, An example of getting the distance between multiple sets of latitude and longitude points uh, the geo facade uh, accepts various sets of points and then calculates the distance between point one, point two, point three, point four, etc. So you say geo facade set point, you give it one, and then you can say options. You can say like kilometers or miles, whatever. Then set point two, set point three, set point four, and then you can say get distance, and that's going to get the calculated distance between each point. Or you can say get center, which is going to get the center between each one of those values. So. Uh, if geolocations and being able to do geographical calculations is something uh, that's important to you, then you'll definitely want to check this one out. Uh, if you have ever integrated your application with third parties like Stripe or GitHub or Slack or Trello, you may have seen the webhooks that come from it. If you've ever used Stripe, for example, it's more than just sending a JSON payload to your application or to a URL and calling it a day. It's providing all of that clarity around it. You get the the feedback, you get to see if they failed, if you can retry them and things like that. And that's where something like Hook Relay comes in. Hook Relay is a service that makes sending and receiving web webhooks reliable, secure, transparent, and automatically. And some might even say magically. Users are amazed at the visibility they've gained into their webhooks. Without Hook Relay, you have no idea how many requests you're processing. With Hook Relay, you can watch your traffic, inspect each request, and much more. It's like x-ray visions for your webhooks. Of course, if your app or your integration partners are being flaky, you will love the peace of mind that comes with knowing that no matter what happens, Hook Relay will make sure that your webhooks are delivered. Skip days of grunt work, rolling with your own webhook system, and get reliable webhooks for your app in minutes and not days. You can go to hookrelay.dev to get started and check webhooks off your to-do list. They've got pricing starting at $0 a month, would you believe, for 100 webhooks a day. So definitely check them out if you want to get that up and running in your application, take it for a spin, see if it suits your needs. We thank our friends at Hook Relay and Honey Badger for sponsoring the show. We actually know the pain of this. We've built this before, haven't we, Michael? This whole deal, the whole accepting (laughs) webhooks and dealing with all that stuff. It can be quite a pain in the butt. Now, there are some great libraries out there that help to make it easier, but it's still a pain in the butt. So even the best people mm-hmm. who are doing this uh, still don't provide a immediate solution like Hook Relay does. So if you if you do offer webhooks as a service to your clients or to your uh, to your customers, you should definitely check this one out. I think it's going to be a game changer. So thanks again, Honey Badger. Really appreciate it. Okay, we've got another package here by Wouldn't You Know It, Spassi. Laravel Health is a package by Spassi to monitor the health of your applications. You can accomplish this by configuring one or more of the available checks, or you can create any custom checks that you'd like. At the time of the release, Spassi's health check package has the following checks. CPU load, database connection, debug mode, environment, flare error count, horizon, uh, millisearch, ping, redis, schedule, and used disk space. So an example of how you'd register a check is very simple. As always, Spassi has beautiful APIs and you can uh, define everything fluently. So you have health checks and then you can say used disk space check new. And then you can say warn when used space is above percentage. 
fail when used space is above percentage and then pass in percentages that you'd be comfortable with. And then given the above desk space check, when used space is above 90%, the health package will send a notification via email or Slack or ODIR or anything else that you're wanting to do that you have a notification channel for. It will automatically throttle notifications. So you'll only receive one notification per hour by default. Or you can configure custom throttling timeframes and minutes. And lastly, you can view, view these health statistics via a web browser UI provided by this package from the CLI or as a JSON payload. So you can learn more about this package, get full installation instructions, and view the source code on GitHub. This is great. And I love that Spassi puts these out there. You know that they're building these for themselves. And then they just say, you know, let's build this for the world. Uh, so one thing that they've built a long time ago that we've used for a lot of things is uh, their dashboard. Uh, so they have that dashboard mm-hmm. where you could pull in like, hey, what Spotify song am I listening to? Or, you know, how many, I don't know, whatever. There's like a hundred different things, right? But mm-hmm. we've used that to do something similar to this. We just basically built our own custom checks and we just threw them all into their dashboard, right? So this is essentially a more polished version of that where it's like you don't have to like mm-hmm. hijack their dashboard to get some of these things. And now they've built in all of these items for you. Like, so I know, for example, we built our own, they have flare error count. Uh, we had a sentry error counter that we would just, that we created mm-hmm. and, and uh, threw in there. We have a thing to check for failed jobs. Like what's the failed jobs counts on all of our different things. They have that with horizon now in here. So anyway, yeah, it looks like it's a really comprehensive solution. Looks really great. And uh, excited to check this one out. Yeah. I've had to implement things like this before at at a couple of previous jobs where we had you know off the shelf monitoring solutions that that would check i forget the names of them um they were across the old applications but they were used to monitor all of our networks and things like that and so we would have to expose endpoints so we would have to go and do things like this where we would check the memory and and check um what more application level stuff the the servers themselves were monitored with those applications but being able to say, hey, this application is up or down or it can't connect to the database and things like that and the gymnastics you have to do to get that done to, to expose those endpoints, whereas now all of this stuff is kind of just done there and you can create your own custom checks if you need to add any of your own things in there as well. So um, handy to have that. Definitely check that out. Uh, next up, we have Laravel migration actions, which is like version control for your migration process that allows your team to modify and share the application's actionable schema. If you have ever had to tell a teammate to perform an action on a production server manually, you have come across an issue that actions will solve. Actions are stored within a database slash actions folder and operate similarly to the way migrations work. The package also includes an artisan command to create new actions. So some of the package main features include the ability to run actions every time you call migrate actions command, execution of actions only in specific environments or from, and you can exclude actions from specific environments. Easy database transactions in actions with configurable attempts before failing, rolling back actions and displaying the status of actions in the current environment. So an action might be as part of your setup process if you're setting up a new development. I've, I did this this week actually and I had to you know update some documentation where we run the migrations, then we have to run a cedar and then you need to create an admin user. So this can an action could be the process of actually creating that admin user. Um, and then reversing that, you could delete that admin user and things like that. So just to speed up that onboarding process, speed up process of um, getting particular things to production. If you've ever had to do a deployment plan and you have to say like deploy this code, run this migration, um, and then you need to run this cedar or add this thing or whatever, uh, all of this can be handled as part of this this package. I, I would suggest that it's probably just for doing database-related actions I probably wouldn't try and shoehorn too much other stuff in there if you can help it. Um, but there's not really much, you know, a code deploy pushes all the code out um, and then these kinds of things to sort of set up the world. We've spoken about in the past using migrations for this. Right. You know, if, that's if we've, something... That's we've done recently with this. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if something is required in your application for the application to function, then it's kind of a function of the migration itself. So the, the migration actions is a nice way to kind of separate but keep that stuff together. So... Uh, check that out if if that's something of interest to you, if you find yourself doing that kind of stuff a lot. I think that's a good point, what you said, which is that it's the ability to sort of separate out that second piece, but um, to also try and keep it a little bit together. So, so right. a, a for instance, is something like, hey, we are adding a new, we have a started at and a finished at column. 
but we are going to add a new time spent column. Uh, but what we want to do is when we add that time spent column, we actually want to go back in time. And for the last six months, we want to calculate what that time spent column should be for all of the mm -hmm. times between started at and finished at, right? And so you're going to run this action where you're going to say, grab any mm -hmm. records that are greater than six months ago and go calculate the difference between started at and ended at and fill that into the time spent uh, column. Right. Now, yeah. right now, what I'm doing is I'm saving that as part of my migration. As part of the up, it's doing that. But there's nothing to reverse that in the down. I typically don't use the down. But what this would do is this essentially would allow you to break that second part out into an action. So instead of it being part of your migration, which is typically used to just modify the schema of your database, this would be mm -hmm. that secondary step, which would actually run an action on your database to perform some sort of data migration, but not necessarily a schema modification, as it were. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would like this better or not. It's interesting. That's all I'll say, I guess. Yep. Very cool though. Nice job. All right. Uh sorry, I was so interested in your in you talking about it that I forgot to look at the next one. Okay. We've got <laughs> Laravel Auto Binder. Bind interfaces to implementations automatically. Load. Here we go. This is a package by Michael Rubel and it binds interfaces to implementations automatically. Okay, so let's talk about this for a quick second. So an interface is basically you defining, if you don't know what an interface is, I'm going to do a really quick my flyby version of it. An interface is basically you're, you're defining, it should sh be shaped like this. It should have these methods and should return these values when you, you know, when you run this method or whatever, it should, it should accept these arguments. And then any class that you have that implements that interface has to adhere to that contract that you've defined in that interface, right? So there'll be a lot of times that you will have a bunch of different classes that implement the same interface. And then at runtime, you may choose which implementation you want to bind to that interface. And so this package automatically binds interfaces to implementations in the service container by scanning the specified project folders. So this helps avoid manually registering container bindings when the project needs to bind many interfaces to its implementations without any additional dependencies. So here's an example. I, I haven't read this, so I'm just going to read it, okay? Given the, given the following path conventions, your implementations are automatically available in the service container. So if you have a... Oh boy, do I want to do this? If, if you I have, have an example service sure, in the app services namespace and that example service implements the example interface within app services interfaces example interface, then this package would handle automatically binding that so you don't have to go into your service provider and do a this bind or a this uh, singleton or whatever. It'll just go this bind. It'll find that mapping and it'll say, okay, whenever you ask to instantiate out of the, or, you know, pull out of the container an example interface, it will automatically give you an example interface ready to go. So without that extra step of having to go in and add the binding manually. Yeah. I, I have to say I, is, and maybe, maybe different people do it different ways for me. Typically, if I'm defining an interface, it's because I have multiple possible options for what I'm binding to it. Mm -hmm. And I typically don't just have one class that I'm binding to it. So that's my only question about this. Is I'm, I'm curious if I'm missing something or if it's just, hey, if you have something, I don't know, maybe maybe you know, you're getting a contract from something else and you're saying, well, I will have my, here's my implementation of that contract, right? Maybe you're not the one writing mm -hmm. the contract. Maybe you're getting the contract from somebody else, right? That interface. And you're saying, here's my binding to that. Possibly. That's maybe what it is. So mm -hmm. any case, that's what it is. Laravel auto binder. If you have a, if you have a uh, interface that you want to automatically bind to a class instance, your implementation, hey, go for it. This is how you can do that really easily without having to define it in a service provider. Very nice. Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have GetCandy, which is an e-commerce package for Laravel. It brings functionality to your application akin to Shopify and other e-commerce platforms where you have complete freedom to create your own storefronts, but GetCandy has already done the hard work for you in the backend. GetCandy can be added to any Laravel application and have the functionality to rival other offerings. The core package provides models for working with e-commerce, such as cart objects and other conveniences around carts, like matching a cart to a user or guest session. At the time of writing, GetCandy is in public beta with some exciting features on the horizon such as connecting your application to a modern PWA storefront or native mobile app. 
Some of the main features included with Get Candy include an admin hub to manage your products. The admin is extensible with custom add-ons. It has cart management, product associations, currency models and exchange rates, user and customer management, Laravel media library support for images, localization support, order models and management, and much more. To get started with Get Candy, the documentation will guide you through installation and configuration and provide a guide to learn how to work with the project. And since the project is open source, you can view the Get Candy source code on GitHub. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes. If you have started down the path of integrating Shopify or you want a little bit more control over your data or you just want to have a bit of a play around to, to see what it's all about, um, definitely check it out. Okie dokie. We've got another one here. Uh, open AI. Have you ever worked with Open AI, Michael? Oh, I have not. I have not, and I don't know what it is either. Open AI mm-hmm. SDK for PHP. So I suppose I should learn about what Open AI is. But apparently, this is a PHP SDK for accessing the Open API GPT 3 API. So it supports complete search, answer, classification, and engine APIs. So they give an example here where you're using Open AI and you're asking it to classify a set of examples that you're passing in. So you're training it and then you're passing in some labels and then you're passing it a query and you're saying, uh, based on what I've trained you on, give me what you think this is, right? Essentially is what it looks like. So that's interesting. That's interesting. I suppose one thing that could be interesting with something like this is we've tried, well, I'm going to steer away from that example just because I don't want to... <laughs> sentiment analysis i don't want to get myself in trouble um (laughs) but in any case yeah sentiment analysis sure so uh, this it seems like this is this is really interesting so you can kind of do a tiny little training for this thing so you can pass in some examples and then you can pass in some labels that you set in your examples Mm -hmm. so you can basically say here's a string and i'm going to classify it as this here's another string i'm going to classify it as this here's a third string i'm going to classify it as this and then you pass in those labels whatever you classified those as and then you say okay here's a new string how would you classify this and then it will tell you based on what you passed to me here's what i think it is and so it uses mm-hmm. ai essentially to evaluate uh your question and then return your response so the package is lightweight it has no external dependencies apart from curl and json php extensions uh, you'll be required to decode the JSON API responses to work with the data, but super easy to get started with the package. Of course, you'll probably want to be familiar with the Open API or Open AI API documentation and examples. But if you are, this SDK could be really helpful for you. Interesting. I would be curious how people would be, be using that. Yeah, sentiment analysis probably. Yeah. Sentiment analysis is good. We've uh, at a at a previous job we we did that kind of thing where we were analyzing tweets and. And like Twitter kind of did it for you if if you poked it the right way, the API. But, you know, it'd be good for ticketing systems and incoming email and things like that <clears throat> if you want to kind of figure out, you know, if a customer's emailing you being abusive or if a customer's got negative things to say, you might surface those tickets to a to a separate complaints team automatically and things like that. So that's a good point. Definitely, definitely something interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. Tutorial time. This one's lengthy and I'm not going to go through it because there's a lot of code heavy examples, but this is around using primitive types in controllers and closure routes. Uh, something that this is from everyone's favorite human, Paul Redmond. Um, something that he had not considered is type hinting primitive types in Laravel controllers. PHP only has four scalar primitive types, Boolean, int, float, and string. Regarding routes, string and int are the most likely types you want. However, it doesn't usually type hint scalar primitive types in controllers. Paul recently saw an issue crop up with type hinting control actions caused by a type error, so he'd like to demonstrate a few examples where you can safely use type hinted controllers with the int type. Uh, so this is sort of talking about PHP's um, type juggling and the way that if you have a a number, if you have a number in your URL, it'll typically be converted to a string when it when it comes through. Um, so basically forcing that to sorry, if it it it, it is technically a string, but it gets type juggled into an integer for you. So if you're expecting one or the other and you see, you know, the wrong thing, then you might find yourself in trouble. So this talks about um, using regular expression constraints in your route definitions in order to force them to be numeric and things like that. Um, So definitely check that out for some approaches in in dealing with strict types in alternative approaches and things like that as well. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I once again got caught up in reading that and listening to you. So (laughs) here we go. 
Last but not least, we have our top 10 Laravel tutorials of 2021. So Eric will kind of compile this list, look at all the statistics, the analytics provided by Fathom. Thank you, Fathom. And we'll then determine what were the top posts of the year. So here they are in no particular order. I'm just kidding. They are in a particular order. Uh, should I start at the bottom? I should start at the bottom. Yeah, start from the bottom. Number 10, creating your own PHP helpers in a Laravel project, which is funny because it has like... That's not it's it's funny because like a lot of these things are probably going to be maybe like not like sexy sort of whatever, but just the things that like everyday people have to use. Right. Like, how do you create a helper Laravel project? Like we all need to do that. And so that's number 10 on the list. Number nine, one of many eloquent relationship added to Laravel. The one of many relationship creates a one to one association from a one to many relationship. So that's pretty cool. Five tips for the Laravel service container. So this one was from Mohammed Syed. He when he published a new video on his Laravel, on the Laravel YouTube channel, outlining five different tips for dealing with Laravel service container. That was a good one. Number seven was CLI to check for PHP security vulnerabilities. So Enlightened Security Checker uh, is a command line tool that checks if your application uses dependencies with known security vulnerabilities. I think previously. Uh, there, I know there may be another so one. Sensio Labs one. That's it. Thank you. Sensio Labs has another one of these, but that one was a good one this year. Number seven. Uh, number six, finding N plus one problems instantly by disabling lazy loading. So I think this was also another thing that was introduced by Mohammed uh, earlier this year. This is something that you can put into your app service provider and say, stop automatically lazy loading things. Uh, and by doing that, you can basically catch inside of your app any places where you're going to run into potential N plus one bugs. Uh, so you can run into that uh, in advance so you don't end up uh, only running into it in production. We have number five, the ultimate performance checklist for Laravel apps. So of course, Laravel is fast out of the box, but how do you make it even faster? Here's some things that you can do uh, to get some quick wins for making your app the mean machine your customers want. Number four, how do you duplicate or clone a database record with Laravel? If you ever need to do this, Laravel provides a very handy function for this called replicate, which takes an eloquent model and makes a copy so you can then make changes and save it. Number three, understanding the sole query builder method. So 8.23, Laravel 8.23 introduced a sole method to the query builder, which retrieves a single record, but it also has additional assertions. So taking a look at that in number three. Number two, mistakes I've made in AWS, which this is actually a recent article. This is not that old. This is by Chris Fidal. We had talked about this, I think, maybe one or two episodes before we finished up the year. So the fact that yep. this is number two on the list means it got quite a bit of traction pretty quick uh, to be able yeah, to hack up, news. yeah, to be able to end the year with like the top, you know, number two spot. All right, number one, drum roll, please. I always picture Michael Scott when I do the drum roll thing. Michael Scott. All right. Number one, Laravel first or new, first or create, first or, and update or create methods. So these are some really handy methods that you can use in Laravel. But this tutorial basically talks about how they might be, might be useful and what each one of them does. So that was number one. Congratulations to, who wrote that one? Congratulations to Jason Beggs. Pulling out the win. Jason Beggs on that one. Nice job. That is it for our top 10 Laravel tutorials of 2021. And folks, that is the first show for 2022, episode 148. That's it. We made it. it up. We made it. I felt rusty. I know. You know, breaking off some of the breaking off some of the rusts, uh, spraying down some WD-40, working out all the kinks. <laughs> We're back. Hopefully, you know, hopefully I like it was actually recording this episode. Okay, good. Whew. Mm-hmm. That was bad. <laughs> I want to put it past me. I'll just say that. You'd have to do it all again from scratch. Nope. Not do By it. By yourself without yep. me. Mm-mm. Nope. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. How can I do it without <laughs> my, my wonderful buddy over in Aussie land? Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, Michael, any words before we wrap this bad boy up? Nothing. Nothing. I'm uh, one week down in a new job. You'll have to listen to the uh, North Meet South to hear about that next week. Indeed. Indeed. But it's good. Um, Feels good. Feels good. It does. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear you're enjoying the job and glad to hear it's uh, it's fun. Hey, speaking of rust, um, I purchased a a new to me vehicle this last week because Mm -hmm. the vehicle I was driving, Michael, you may know that I happen to call myself a frugal sort of dude. Michael's like, no, of course not. Yeah. Uh, The car that I have a different word for that here. 
<laughs> oh, uh, what are you? Hold on. What's the name of the guy at the bar? What is it? What do you? What do you call him? It reminds got- with reminds r- rhymes with right class. I don't know what that is. Help me. I can't. I can't say. It. We can't put an explicit tag oh, on oh, this right. podcast. Oh, I guess. Sorry, I got you. <laughs> I got gotcha. Hey, no, no, no. Uh, what's what's the guy that's at the bar that never pays for the drinks? What do you call him? You call him. There's a word for this. You said this. There's like. Oh, a, yeah. What is it? What's the word? How do you? What is it? What do you I don't remember. I don't, you don't remember. You've put me on the spot. Come on, Michael. This is like an Australian. You don't remember thing. either. <laughs> it's not my culture. It's not my thing. It's not my word. Whispers. <laughs> I don't, I don't Whispers. Remember. Whispers. That's right. Right? Isn't that it? It's whispers, and it's because he never, he never, never shouts. He never that's shouts right. for the because then when you say when, when well, that's that's different. Come, that's different to never. I know, paying. I know. He just never pays like, for the that's like a cheapo, right? right? Like that guy whispers. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you might call me whispers. I probably not. I try and be generous, but in my own stuff, I I uh, tend to you know just deal with whatever. Anyway, I've had this mm-hmm. garbage car, and it's been great. I paid like twelve hundred bucks for it four years ago, right? <laughs> and it's worked fine but the reason i'm saying this is because of rust so anyway my daughter was wanting to ride back with me from a basketball game the other day and she went to get in the back seat and stepped on the trim on the outside of the car to get in no, and no. a piece of the uh-huh. car fell off in the park <laughs> just crunch and it fell off and i'm like okay it's time i need to get <laughs> I need to get into the car you couldn't see it you couldn't see it from the outside really because it was just rusted underneath and she stepped out and just crunched fell off right there Bad deal. Bad deal. So anyway. Um, this is what Four Kids does to you. New, yeah. New year, new vehicle, new new podcast here. You know, maybe we'll even switch out the music at some point. I was already looking at new intro music and Michael's like, of course you were. I'm always looking for new intro <laughs> music for our shows. So coming up soon, we're going to have new intro music and we're going to have actually little like music for each section because I bought a soundboard app. It's going to be awesome. Mm. Michael's Michael's not convinced it's going to be cool, but I'm pretty convinced it's going to be awesome. So <laughs> stay tuned, my friends. Until then, podcast.laravel-news.com slash 158 to find show notes for this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really, really appreciate it if you would rate it up in your podcatcher of choice. 10 stars. Heck, 10 stars would be even more appreciated than five stars. Like twice. Go. That would be awesome. Do it. And of course, if you want to hit us up on Twitter at Michael Durandora, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News, any of those three places, you can get a hold of us. Hey, folks, thanks for hanging out with us. Until next time, we'll see you.